Hi everyone, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. And today we are off the path with Patty McLaren. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, it's always a pleasure uh, to have different people from all over, and I'm excited to have another Ohioan on the podcast. <laughs> um, I love, quick shout out to our Ohio listeners, because um, every time we post an episode, suddenly we have like 60 straight downloads right from Ohio. So Ooh, nice. <laughs> it's good to <laughs> have another um, home kid. So yeah, Go Patty. Buckeyes, can we say that or no? <laughs> I think so, without our legal team getting too upset. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway patty thanks so much for being on the show um how about you tell us a little bit about your story sure um i'm patty mclaren i'm a licensed therapist in the states of ohio and minnesota Mm. um i work primarily with people who have developmental and relational trauma and primarily with adoptees and their families and i'm myself an adoptee back from many, many years ago, I'm 53 years old Hmm. and I grew up in Columbus and now I live in Cincinnati. What's the connection there on Minnesota? I don't think I ever knew that about you. Yes. Well, I had a client that moved to Minnesota and she asked me if I would figure Hmm. it out and it's, it wasn't that difficult to get licensed. So oh, nice. now I have quite a few clients in Minnesota. Oh my goodness. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 I'm working on my Kentucky license for the same reason. Whoa, I think you can keep me informed because, on how to do all this. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think partly because I have this specialty, people right. are seeking out. You know, I think it, I am kind of the unicorn that I'm, in fact, an adoptee who works with adoptees. Right. And there's a lot of us out there, but um, it's sometimes not, hard to find. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm it's so. A privilege. Yeah. I'm so excited, Patty, to have you on our Off the Beaten Path today. And Um, for our listeners, Patty and I have done some different trainings together that we just started talking and hit off a great friendship and connection. And so it is fun for me to have colleagues that I really um, value and trust and we can mutually support each other and in mental health and supporting our clients. So it is super exciting to have you with us today. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Valerie. Julie, I really value your friendship. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, nice. I think that perspective, being an adoptee and a therapist who helps other adoptees is super interesting. Um, Often I talk about on our pre before the show that mom is a therapist who specializes with uh, adoptees and stuff. So that perspective you bring um, is so interesting. I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about how being an adoptee influences you being a therapist and kind of how your mindset, what, what your mindset is like in those instances? It's a really good question. I think I, and I, and I think many therapists are adoption competent. You know, I don't want to say all adoptees should see adoptees. Um, I think what I can bring is that knowing of how it feels to feel different and not reflected in my family, you know, that I grew up with and that isolation and that um, wanting for mirrors and that feeling 
of of abandonment and, and, you know, waiting for it to happen again. And I think that is a lifelong journey for adoptees. And I, I think during um, sessions, I don't say things like, oh yeah, I get it. I'm an adoptee, you know, not at all. I think a lot of it goes unsaid. I think adoptees come to me and so much is unsaid, you know, they don't have to explain the adoption is trauma. And there are therapists out there that, that aren't adoptee competent. And in which case, you know, they've, I've had clients say they've said to their therapist, but what about my adoption? Do you think that affects me? And they'll say, well, when were you adopted as an infant? Well, that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just um, very invalidating. Mm -hmm. So, but again, I do think you can be adoptee competent without being an adoptee. Mm -hmm. And I have heard just the invalidation as well that, well, you're in a loving family now as if you should be quote unquote over it or something that it, that it isn't trauma. If you have a loving family now, which is also horribly invalidating and not understanding the nature of neuroscience trauma or adoption. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. What I've found, you know, as an adoption therapist myself, I'm an adoptive parent and that gives me a window into the triad, but also mm-hmm. learning from adoptees and hearing whether it's webinars or podcasts or trainings or books or things, just listening to the adoptee voice is so important and to be able to consider um, the diversity of people's unique experiences and to allow them to have their experience. And that is just all really fundamental and important in trying to help people heal. Hey mom, Uh, I was curious, you said the triad, (laughs) what is that? Yeah, so we talk about the, um, the birth mother, the adoptee and the adoptive. Hmm. family Hmm. so there's the side of being the original parent has a lot of trauma and challenge to heal and work through as well and then for the adoptee some are in reunification and some are not Mm -hmm. and so there's layers to that um, which patty of course you can speak to this as well if you want to add to what i've said well i think um some people in the adoption community have gone away from the word triad hmm. and we're using the word constellation. Cool. But there's so many people involved in where I am today. So there was, you know, my first mother, there was um, my, the people who um, at the infant asylum. So back in the day, I spent some time in an infant asylum, which hmm. I think is an orphanage. And then I spent time in foster care and then I have my parents and then hmm. You know, some of us have special relationships with mm-hmm. with um, all kinds of other people. So we're we're going to adoption constellation is kind of one of the words out there. I like that better. And a lot of us and a lot of us aren't using birth mother anymore. That's kind of um, we're on the fence. You know, it's it's an interesting time in adoption land. A lot of us aren't saying birth mother because that's kind of saying. Sh- like relegating her to just someone who gave birth to you. That's it. Kind of like um, using her for that. And Mm. and that's not how we want to look at this person. You know, she was your first mother. You spent, you know, seven, eight, nine months with her. You have her genes. You know, she was your first mother is Mm. what some people are saying. 
Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with whatever anyone wants to use. If you want to say birth mother, if you want to say adoption triad, like, I think we have to get curious with people that are involved and whatever words they want to use. That's what we need to use. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you're educating me. I appreciate that because I hadn't heard about, I don't think I've heard about constellation yet, but that makes so much sense because like Mm -hmm. you said, in your story, you've had your first family, you've had an orphanage, you've had foster families. There's so Mm -hmm. many people that that's a broader scope than just a triad. Yeah. It also seems less lonely for sure. Oh, that's nice. A constellation. <laughs> yeah, I see yeah. like a group yeah. of like 20 stars instead of a group of just, you know, three. That's nice. Good mm. point. Um, earlier, Patty, you said that mm. there are a lot of things that went unsaid <clears throat> with you and your like adoptee clients. I was just thinking about mm. that. Like it's a thought that hasn't left my mind. And I was curious, like, mm-hmm. what are some of those, um, you know, unsaid thoughts or those Mm. that kind of assumptions that you both can say okay we're we're in an understanding about this well I think um you know we're in understanding that separation is trauma and maybe everybody feels this way but I can say when I'm sitting with a client who's been adopted you know we understand that separation is trauma and if I have a client that says um you know my boyfriend was walking out the door and I he, he was just going down the street to, to get some, hmm. some yogurt, but I was sure he was leaving me forever. Hmm. And it's like, and, and you could say, well, that's anxious detachment or disorganized attachment, but you know, she can look at me and say, what an adoptive thing to think, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we're, a lot of us are still waiting for that second ball to drop. You know, we, mm-hmm. we can present as, um, you know, avoidant and we don't want to talk about being adopted and, oh, this didn't affect me, or we can present as really anxious, but deep down inside, a lot of us, you know, we're told we're adopted because we're special. You were chosen, you were special. And you're like, well, if you, if, if my birth mother thought I was special or chosen, then why'd she leave me? So if she left me, my first mother, then you're going to leave me too. You know, what's to stop you from leaving me? Mm-hmm. So not all adoptees feel this way. I can just speak for myself, really. Mm-hmm. I've heard some discussion recently as well um, with the term forever family that mm-hmm. is very conflicting as far as similar to what you just said. So if if my adoptive family is my forever family, what does that mean about my first family? And what's the distinction that that you will stay any more than my first family stayed and not to mention I've heard so many people adoptees and not who the concept of forever is daunting and scary and overwhelming and Mm -hmm. not necessarily a peaceful word even to use that just to understand the complexity of human language and meaning that we put behind things that um, to be able to hear maybe why we don't want to oversimplify with words, you know, to say forever family from an adoptive perspective would be to um, validate that we're here, we're not leaving, but it can stir so much. But what if, or is that a guarantee anything more Mm -hmm. than what my first family was? And, and it doesn't quite acknowledge the whole story similar to adoption, adoption, you know, from an adoptive parent standpoint, what I often hear is, you know, that the adoptee is 
a gift and a blessing and a, um, it's a very positive. We are so thankful to be adoptive parents, but it doesn't take into account relinquishment and abandonment and loss and grief and pain and trauma. And I imagine there's so much that's stirred up for an, an adoptee as, um, so I'm here to serve a function for you that you didn't have something and I'm supposed to fill that need. And it can just, I would imagine, get very tangled up with lots of meaning. Oh, can sure. you speak to any of that? Yeah, um, I think... I think what we need to tell our kids who are adopted is, is, you know, I have a hard time with, we chose you, you're special. It's, I mean, even it's a blessing is, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that. I think kids need to hear adoption is a decision the adults made because what if I stop being special? Mm. What if mm -hmm. I push the boundaries and I start behaving badly Am I no longer special and a blessing? Mm -hmm. so I think kids need to know adoption is a decision the adults made and we are a family and we love you. And that's it. Like there, I think anything else, you know, and, and maybe not all kids pick this up, but I, you know, so many kids are, you know, people pleasers when they're adopted, you know, even more so than your maybe non-adopted kid. And then so many um, adoptees are otherwise known as the angry adoptee, you know, pushing all the boundaries. Well, that kid's, they're both hurting on the inside. Mm -hmm. and, and the second kid is just trying to see how far can I push it until you let me go, until you do what the first mother did, mm -hmm. you know? And so we just need to sit with them and say, we're a family. We made this decision. And, and I think that's what kids need to hear personally. I, th I think it's sacred work to talk to your kids. And I think the more you can get curious with your, your adopted kids, you know, get curious about them. What, what is their internal life? What, what are they thinking? And in that, as an adoptive parent, to not be defensive or easily hurt or wounded by huh. the enormity of the adoptee's experience. So even if they have incredible um, questions of where do I belong? And do I even want to be in this adoptive family? And do I even fit here? And where do I belong with any family or with any relationship or just all the depth of complexity and sometimes pain or confusion or all the layers to that? Mm -hmm. I think it's important for the adoptive parents to stay in a place of, um, open receptivity and willingness to just be a safe place for healing to happen. And that's hard to do. I know that's hard to oh, do from hearing yeah. adoptive parents sharing their struggles and pains. And because sometimes, and even what you alluded to a little bit, Patty, was like the acting in or acting out, you know, they're either internalizing and becoming the perfectionist so that they won't be rejected or they'll be wanted or they'll be liked and being a people pleaser, or they are working through all the conflicted feelings and angry or hurt or overwhelmed or confused or traumatized and acting out. And I would imagine a third category would be somewhere in between the two and doing some of both, you know, a little bit of 
column A, a little bit of column B. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think that's why we ask parents if they're looking to adopt to do their own work, you know, first. Mm -hmm. If you can be a regulated, connected parent, as you know, you know, you're gonna have a, be able to let this be your kid's experience. You'll be able to fulfill their needs. If you're asking a baby to fulfill any needs you have, you know, you're starting behind the, the, the start line. Like you need to, you need to decide as adults do make this decision. I'm going to adopt this child to fulfill this child's needs, you know, mm -hmm. through their lifespan. Our, our children aren't here. And I'm a parent of three adult children. Our children aren't here to fulfill our needs. Right. They're just not, we are here to fulfill their needs. And I think sometimes if we haven't done, we meaning adopt parents haven't done our grief work, you know, haven't really put time into grieving our infertility, our infertility, if that's what brought us here or whatever we might be grieving before we adopt, it's just putting you behind the start line. Yeah. Our, our children are here. We're here to support them. And that's what the relationship needs to be. And that's in all families. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's my thought. <laughs> I'm really glad that you're, you're saying that because I think, you know, for some it's infertility that brings them to adoption for others. Um, in Christian circles, they'll say God called us to adopt, which mm -hmm. is um, very valid for those who um, that's part of their spiritual journey. However, that adds all kinds of layers of challenge to the adoptee as well. Like what kind of God is this that allows my world to be shattered? And I don't know if I really want that God. I don't know if I, if I like any of this God that you're telling me about or expecting that I will fall into line to believe what you do which I've found with a handful of adolescent adoptees that I work with is, you know, just because the parents have a relationship with God does not assume that the adolescents do as well. And so there's conflict in that. And um, I think there's, there's something to be said for an honest desire. I do think it's possible that people are altruistic and wanting to, help and give mm -hmm. and that can also be sticky where um it's also meeting a need of ours if we are helping someone because then we feel valuable and we feel you know we're doing something that has meaning and that's important it's not to say that it's wrong to have that motive but to to be able to name it and to say well this is what i'm hoping in this is that that i can help someone else and um, be a part of a healing journey without sliding too far into I'm a rescuer and yes. I'm um, I'm doing something because you need you need me to rescue you it's much more of we're humans we all struggle mm -hmm. I'm learning how to heal and grow and I want to be a support to my child to help them heal and grow not that that relationship is going to fulfill my sense of belonging in the world or purpose and meaning. It all gets very uh, tangled and muddied when you start to look at it. Cause it's like, 
okay, who, you know, whose whose need is being met? What is what is the purpose? And there's a lot of layers and all mm. that. I don't know if that's making some sense. What does that um, stir up for you, Samuel, as you're hearing us kind of talking about that? I'd be curious. Um, well, that last line definitely brings up the boundaries that we've talked about before and how when things are confused and muddled, there aren't clear boundaries. <clears throat> I'd be interested to hear what Patty thinks. I I think, you know, well, maybe I'll, I'll hear what Patty thinks and maybe I can ask you a double question too to kind of... <laughs> Because uh, we've talked about on this series before, even if everybody has food, water, shelter, you know, what they need to survive, some natural disasters or accidents like adoption is something that is almost unavoidable um, in just how the way the world works in terms of like loss and end and stuff. So. Or maybe it doesn't, you know. My, my point is just like, is there a sustainable way to do adoption? Is there a way that it is, you know, ethical and something of strength? Um, I, I do know it takes a lot of work for sure, but I was curious, like, what does that look like? What does a healthy adoption look mm -hmm. like? What does a sustainable adoption look like? As opposed to, you know, something that's all about the parent or, you know, some of the other things we've been talking about. Like what would help it be a healthy mm -hmm. system? And I mean, there's definite need for adoption. There's, there's sometimes need for foster care or these different systems. And yet in talking with people, sometimes the system is very broken and inherently not, not helpful or potentially, you know, talking with those who have been in foster families that have been abusive to them and have added more trauma. Um, I think that's a good question, Samuel. Like, what are your thoughts on that, Patty, as far as how do we, what would a healthy system look like? How do we help support that? How do we grow towards that? Well, I think it, this may not answer your question, but I think it starts with getting curious about the system that you <laughs> so perfectly said is broken um and, and it is broken um if you can you know think about any system that bothers you a social system in any country if you're like you know social justice and you can say to yourself well that needs you can see it so clearly that it needs help i think the adoption system is just as clearly needs help um you know we give a lot of resources to a lot of people to take care of these children and it's possible if we could use some of those resources for their first families. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's not popular, but there's a saying, we're giving a lot of resources. Um, instead of giving the resources to the people with children, we're giving children to people with resources. Hmm. Now, it's, there's no perfect fix. There's no, you know, in a perfect world, none of this would be needed, you know, but there's no, there's no, no good fix. I do. I am. Yeah, I am curious. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you for sure. I am curious in like situations that, you know, natural disasters are something that can definitely happen or a car accident mm -hmm. where suddenly you have an infant who doesn't have a home. I'm I'm curious, like, are what are those pieces that are needed? I I think that's such a good 
insight though. Like we're giving kids to people with resources instead of vice versa. Yeah, that was profound. I've never quite heard that worded that way. And I felt chills just shoot down <laughs> my leg. I was just like, whoa, I almost wanted to say, say that again, Patty. Like we need to sit with that. Yeah, I think, I think if you can, if you're an adoptive parent and you can do your work on your grief as to what brought you to adoption. And I guess like Julie, you mentioned the other, there are different kinds of adoptive parents. If you can just do your work and make yourself a more connected person and not need to be propped up with that kind of savior complex. You know, if you can feel grounded and present and you've got energy because you're going, you're a child, if you adopt, this child will be traumatized. You know, the relinquishment is the trauma. You know, there are adoptees my age who've had wonderful adoptive families no additional trauma, but they still hold trauma. Hmm. So mm-hmm. you, it's not, you know, back in the day, you know, my mom and dad who wonderful people, um, they have since passed. Um, they were told back in the day, here's your clean slate baby, you know, just treat this baby as it was your own. There's no difference between this baby and a biological baby. And I know we've come a long way with that, but what would be great is if we could, you know, get curious and maybe parent a little differently, maybe, um, you know, just know that your child is going to have kind of special needs just by being relinquished. And I think there's a lot of, of good thinking out there and a lot of people who are trying, and there's, there's some really wonderful adopted families out there. And how do you conceptualize for your clients, for -hmm. yourself or for others about what that trauma is doing with the brain? What's the neuroscience of this relinquishment? Well, I think, as you know, when we're, we're born, um, what is it? Only the right side of the brain is on. Hmm. No, the left side of the brain is on, but trauma is in the right side. So, so you can't, we can't communicate. So often when I work with adoptees, even little ones, um, and they're acting out and they're behaving badly and you ask them what's wrong. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. And it's because they haven't been able to communicate like this trauma that's in their, their brainstem. They, they can't communicate what's wrong. They really don't know. A lot of us can say, oh, I'm anxious because I was in a car wreck 10 years ago. And every time I hear a loud noise, I'm anxious. You know, often people with early preverbal trauma, you know, they're, they're not able to, to say what's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's before words before words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just that sense of, I mean, I, I love the neuroscience and the, um, like interpersonal neurobiology. We, when mm-hmm. we had, um, Robin Goebel on the podcast, mm-hmm. the idea that we need relationship, we need to be mirrored, we need attachment. And so when that's ripped away and lost, it is, a crisis. It's a, this is, I'm being annihilated. I'm being removed from the very thing that is supposed to be helping me live, thrive and survive in this world. And so there's fear, there's pain, there's um, all kinds of impact on the cortisol and the stress hormones and the um, inflammation and everything that's happening from a physiological standpoint in our bodies that it has to try to um, resolve and settle and calm the nervous system. 
which happens through attachment, through safety, through co-regulation. But when your relationships as an infant, toddler, young child, adolescent, when those relationships that were meant to keep you safe are also bumpy and disruptive and not um, the support that you need, it just perpetuates more dysregulated um, nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to help our listeners who might not have heard of adoption being trauma or mm -hmm. relinquishment being trauma. I know the, the primal wound by Nancy Verrier talks about that the, the cries of the newborn in the hospital are distinguished if they are a baby that is staying with their birth family or first family, or if they are being relinquished at that point, the cries are even different. It's like they know, they just know in their felt experience that this is not how it was meant to be. And we know from psychology that when a baby's born, the baby believes he's at one with his mother. He doesn't realize they're two different beings, right? That mm -hmm. doesn't happen until they start saying no, you know, when they're about two years old and they can say no, because they realize they're two different beings. So hmm. do you think when you're born that you're at one with this half of you that left mm -hmm. it's like a death hmm. you know it, it feels like death these babies are are just waiting for that other half of themselves to come back mm -hmm. so if you have a, a adopt a child who says you know i'm not really interested in talking about it i think a lot of it could be they don't feel safe hmm. i really do and and you can be the most wonderful parent in the world but you know, if for some reason, I mean, there's just this little part of many adoptees, not all, but many that just don't feel safe saying, yeah, I am curious about my biological family, you know? So one way you could do it is when they're little, you can, um, if you tell them you have the most beautiful brown eyes and the little child says, you know, I don't know what, but then you can say, I wonder where you got those brown eyes from. Or do you ever wonder? Cause I'm curious. Did your mom have brown eyes? Did your dad have brown eyes? Like, I'm curious. Mm. It's not a leading statement. A leading statement would be, are you, you know, do you ever wonder where you get your brown eyes? It would be more of a loving statement. See, I'm kind of curious and see if that develops into a conversation. These kids need off safe opportunities to be able to explore their identity and explore mm. their feelings to make it more integrated, right? So they're not so anxious mm. and to kind of, feel more co-regulated when they can talk about and they need them throughout you know different developmental stages you know I would love to see a parent say well let's draw a picture of what you think what we think your birth mother might look like you know or if a child is naturally gifted at something you know wouldn't that be a great opportunity to say do you ever wonder you know I, I kind of wonder you know hmm. so a lot of times parents will say to their kids are you interested in meeting your biological parents and let me tell you most adoptees well it depends which side they're on they might be like yes because i hate you but then many of us are more like oh no mom no like you're my mom and i don't want anything to do with that you know because that's kind of a fear stance but if your adoptive mother said to you what if your biological mother was outside that door right now would you want to mm. meet her wow that's a whole different question, right? What if, what if she was out there? And I can't create her to be out there right now. But what if she was out that door? Then would you want to meet her? 
And I bet you those kids would all say, heck yeah. Like, or, you know, some mm -hmm. form of at least open to the conversation. Mm -hmm. We need to know as adoptees that our adoptive parents are comfortable with us being interested, right? We need to know you're comfortable, even if it's hard, you know, but this is what you signed up for. So adoptive kids need to know that their parents are comfortable with the fact, and it's just a fact because these are decisions, uh, you know, adults made that you have two sets of parents out there. There's a second set that you haven't met or, or maybe an open adoption you have met, but the more comfortable the adoptive parent can be with this information, the more comfortable the child will be. Hmm. I think it's important. Because then the child doesn't have to meet the needs of the parent to be comfortable. I mean, so often, you know, I've heard adoptees saying it's never about me. It never gets to me about me. It's always about me trying to help everybody else feel okay and not too awkward. If you're talking about transracial adoptees, it's even more layered and complex because someone who is a person of color who's raised in a white family, for instance, doesn't have the racial mirrors of someone who has the same um, ethnicity and cultural background, mm -hmm. there's more layers in that. I mean, it's just a lot to, to have to process and make sense of. And if the adoptive parent is particularly threatened or shaken or insecure or um, unable to just hold the space of whatever they need to experience at whatever point in the journey, mm -hmm it does a disservice to the adoptee who's needing to heal such deep, profound places. Can you speak just for a moment, Patty, to the healing that happens across the lifespan that there may be, you know, I work with some adoptive parents who their adoptee is um, eight, mm -hmm. something, you know, somewhere in the less than 10 range. And then some that are adolescents, some in their twenties and their thirties. So I've seen in my practice um, adoptees at every age and development across the lifespan. But can you speak from the perspective of an adoptee, how you kind of conceptualize how that might change or develop over time? Sure. That's a, that's a good question. I think we can preface it with, you know, if we're considering, if we are considering that relinquishment is trauma, one evidence is that the rate of completed suicides for adoptees is four times that of the rate of completed suicide for people who are not adopted. So that helps someone realize, okay, maybe relinquishment is trauma. That's a great starting point. Um, but as far as healing over lifespan, I think self-compassion is so important because we, we all get kind of gaslighted, you know? And so to, like, if I look at my mom and dad, they were gaslighted because they were told I was just going to be any old baby. And Lord, I wasn't, I was not easy <laughs> child. And um, boy, they didn't know what to do with me. I was like a foreign object, you know? So they were gaslighted and I can be gaslighted if, if um, everyone's telling me, well, at least Patty, you had a really good family and at least you had um, food on the table and, you know, at least your parents loved you. And it's like, that's kind of gaslighting because yes, those things are true, but like, it still hurts. You know, I'm still have hold grief in my heart. Um, but I, I think with self-compassion is the greatest um, gift we can give ourselves as adoptees. Um, I think 
the more um, records are being open, um, birth records. So people are finding, um, there's a lot of communities out there. There's a lot of communities of adoptees supporting each other. Um, and that's a great way to help people heal over the lifespan. But I think the more firm parents can be in there, if adoptive parents can know that love is not enough, there's love and there's work to be done. If you can be secure in who you are and kind of let your kid push all the boundaries and, and that kid can feel that you still aren't leaving. You're not leaving, you know? Back in the day, our parents were told, well, just tell them you'll take them back to the orphanage. Like not good advice. Gosh. you know, if you behave poorly. So I, anyway, I don't know if that answered your question, but adoption's lifelong. And I think mm -hmm. most of us, many of us at least are going to hold grief in our hearts our whole lives. So that's mm -hmm. just something, you know, aren't we all, isn't everyone carrying something heavy, you know, back to the humanity of it all. Like we're all carrying something heavy. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I've heard it said that sometimes even suicide ideation might be in the room across the lifespan as well. Um, that, and, and what a hard thing that is to wrap our minds around because the, the rate of suicide is four times higher. Um, and yet sometimes, um, if we can understand the depth of pain, sometimes that's a way of wording it is that I don't know what to do with this level of pain or grief or trauma. And so learning how to even live, if that's going to be a companion along the journey, if that house visitor of suicide ideation is going to be with me, that it's not something that I necessarily will have completely resolved or, um, it might not go away. What do I do with that now? Um, but I think being able to put words to it and be able to, like you mentioned, have the self-compassion, have the sense of, okay, so this is a part of me. How can I befriend that part? Mm -hmm. How can I have more support when I notice that friend just walked in the room? that I don't want to stuff or avoid or deny or act on, you know, from a safety standpoint, obviously we want to be very alert to safety concerns, mm -hmm. but sometimes for folks, that's the language of my pain mm -hmm. and it might not, it might not ever go away. It might shift and change and get lighter and develop and you, you, you gain more skills and you gain more connection or relationship but there might still be that vulnerability, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know the rate of ideation for adoptees. I don't know if there's been studies on that. Mm -hmm. um, I've never suffered from it, but I sure do know a lot of people who have. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know the difference. I don't know why that didn't come to me. It does, that doesn't meet me. And it does so many of my friends and colleagues and clients. Mm -hmm. But I do think, like you said, putting words to it helps too. You know, if I can, if it's all messed up in my heart somewhere and it's confusing, if I can take it out and kind of organize it and set it next to me and, and look at it and say, yeah, that really sucks. Like that is, that was really difficult. And it's still difficult to think about it. But if it's sitting next to me instead of in me, mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. a little easier. Mm -hmm. 
and having someone to be an empathic witness to it so that you're not alone in it with, with the idea of trauma being, being afraid and being alone, being able to have somebody that we can connect to and find safety in. Yeah. Everybody needs that. Absolutely. Yeah. Adoption is certainly not the only trauma out there. Mm -hmm. Let's see if there's anything I missed. I did like have some. Yeah. Anything else that you wanted to say? We don't have to end on an extremely serious, deep note. I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to like necessarily end it that way, but I, I've heard that and I've seen that. And I just wanted to put some language to it in case there's somebody out there mm-hmm. that is saying, what do we do with that? I mean, how do they not become the statistic that is one in four yeah. when that is their lifelong visitor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think grief, if it's grief, doesn't need to be fixed. It needs to be held. Mm -hmm. And that's such a simple way of looking at it. But like, I don't think grief can be fixed. Mm -hmm. I think, but I think it needs to be held. You know, if someone could look into your heart and hold that with you changes a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a part of a continuing discussion. <clears throat> the last couple episodes that we have had are actually all around uh, adoptive um, relationships, um, about the experience and about you know the psychology and mindset behind that. So if this episode hit you in a certain way or if you're an adoptee or an adoptive family or know an adoptee or if you're just a human, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely check out those episodes. Um, and Patty, where can people find you if they were looking for you? Um, my website is, um, Cincinnati Ridge counseling.com. Perfect. Cincinnati Ridge counseling.com. There'll be a yeah. link in the show notes. Um, Great. if you want to visit that, um, maybe you can be her first Kentucky <laughs> client, <laughs> um, but, um, anyway, uh, so every episode we end with some gratitude or affirmation, and so I just wanted to open up the floor to see if anybody wanted to share. I'll share. I'm really grateful that um, you are both curious about the adoptee experience. I think curiosity is a cure for so many things. And I'm just really grateful for that today. I am so thankful for adoption, adoptees, this topic, the conversation around it. I have learned so much when we started into our adoption journey that was uh i guess over 17 years ago now and i didn't have a clue (laughs) i didn't have a clue at all and i am just so thankful for the continuing process of learning and growing and listening and understanding and i imagine as long as i'm on this earth there'll be much more to keep learning and listening and understanding so i'm just thankful for um, for the opportunity that we have, if we're willing to be on that path of growth and the complexity of humanity. It's funny, you know, some people are afraid of it or box things in and (laughs) blow the lid off the box and and (laughs) be willing to explore just how incredible humanity and the depth and the, the layers are messy and hard and they are work. I liked how you said that, that it takes more than just love. It takes work. That was a beautiful way of understanding it. And I think applicable to everyone in their relationships. Um, So, yeah, I feel my heart is, is definitely grateful for this discussion for Patty, for you being here with us and 
for Samuel and his work with the podcast. I know we've had a little bit of a break there for a while, so I'm glad to be back on and I'm glad that we can reconnect. So I'm grateful for that too. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I'm going to copy your affirmation as well. More of just because when we started this series arc, I was um, I was taking a foster care class. And so starting to learn sort of the mindset of what they were talking about. And then every one of these episodes takes like twice as long <laughs> as it does to edit than it does to listen. So um, I've learned a lot also through the conversations, you know, with Robin or our regularly scheduled community roots and sitting here with Patty today, for sure. I've written down a couple of lines as well that I might throw in our summary, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, this is something that we often don't talk about. And I also think it's applicable to everyone um, that isn't just limited to adoptees. Often this mindset, I think this is how we should be treating people anyway, um, regardless of whether they're adopted or not. And I think it's just more pronounced in adoptees. Like it's more apparent that the language needs to change or the mindset needs to change. And so um, I'm really appreciative of what I've learned and, you know, excited that there are fighters out there who are advocating for the right stuff. So cool. That's my affirmation, I guess, <laughs> slash <laughs> thank you to the world. <laughs> uh, awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thank you so much, Patty, for being on the show with us today. It was a, an absolute treat. Um, and everyone, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks so much for joining